We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Jackie, 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 Jackie Zabrowski. You can hear her on Spotify. You can hear her on Spotify. That worked out a lot better than I thought it would. Page 7, along with all of your other favorite LPN members, are going exclusive to Spotify on Valentine's Day 2020. So that means that you'll only be able to listen to the episode, future episodes, and our entire back catalog of shows over on Spotify starting on February 14th. Did you think that I could never stop singing? Walking on, walking on, broken glass. Man, but the thing is that now... Karma Chameleon stuck in my head. Now Karma Chameleon stuck in my head. Spotify accounts are free and easy to create. So you can listen to all of our shows on Spotify right now. And you can download episodes for offline listening with your free account. Now, the last podcast network and all of your favorite music in one place. What are you waiting for? Check it, check it, check it, check it, check it, Zabrowski. Did I just do it to you guys too? I'm sorry. Not sorry. Listen to the last podcast network free on Spotify. I just feel like all that's in my what brain. What was that? <laughs> Do a different one. Do a different one. Do a different one. Is that I will say not a huge acapella type of a musician. You know, it's it's difficult to really get Prince they across. They do it. They do it in Romeo plus Juliet. Oh God! Well, Romeo oh plus God. Juliet can do literally anything that they want to do. That's true. Welcome to Prince Part Two. I feel like my oh life my God, is. I think I live on Paisley Park right now. I wish. Oh, Paisley Park looks like it's. I think it's a place where work gets. Done. Yeah, yeah. I just want to stare at his little abs. <laughs> I do. Natalie wants to have a lot of sex with Prince. Welcome I... to <laughs> to pop history. I do. No, I'm not even going to deny do it. Do you see that? Do you see this like manic? I'm sorry, not see. Do you hear this manic energy, people listening right now? This is because we have been in a whirlwind of Prince. I'm going to say movements from Purple Rain. All the way through to, I'm going to say what we're covering today. Hopefully we actually cover it all because there's so fucking much of it. But even just from Purple Rain to 1989's Batman soundtrack, what is that? 
Six years? Five years. Five. It's five what? years. Well, because this, this is the time. This is again. There's we so much. Have to get across. Prince was a maniac. He was a work <laughs> maniac that we will never get to the levels of what Prince was. He would never stop working. Everyone says that he would never sleep. He barely ate. I think that he again. Wish he had seen a therapist to really talk about these things because he's a <laughs> prolific genius. But he just couldn't stop. But would out work. the therapy have prevented the work from coming out of him? I didn't have time for it. That's what happened yep. with David Lynch. He went to one therapy session and that he asked, "Would this, if I go get healed through all my my brain worms, will it make my work <laughs> right? suffer?" And the therapist said, "Maybe." And he said. Good day to you, sir. I get it. I was on antidepressants for two years, and then I got off of them because I was like, I don't feel enough. What we're saying is if you are artistically (laughs) stifled, take all of your drugs off of the the counter. Just don't take any more of them. Stop taking your medications. If you're cutting good albums, stop. And that is Jackie approves of that as well, right, Jackie? Yes, I approve (laughs) of it, especially if you um, are openly anti-drug and say that you don't do any drugs. But in reality, Prince, you're doing a lot of drugs on the sly. Because Mm -hmm. especially in reading through all of this stuff about Prince, it is nuts. Not only how much he was working all the time, but nobody ever really knew what he was doing. Right. He's very, I, I keep coming a, across the word elusive, elusive. And in reading through all this stuff, the man was elusive. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and and reports say, you know, and I cannot wait to talk about the Black Album, which may be my favorite discovery of this yes. episode. Um, but, you know, that is even him pulling the Black Album from, from being released. Apparently had to do with like an MDMA tr- trip that went bad for him. Yes. Uh, so I think, yeah, there was a lot going on. it was on. too evil. There's so much going on that I don't know. It's like kind of almost reminds me a little bit of the Joan Rivers thing in the sense of like what she said was not like the smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. of the reality and the, versus the reality are so all over the place. And I don't know if I'm anything I have anything I say about Prince today is actually true. A lot of it is hearsay. I don't know if he actually existed at this point. I know totally. <laughs> Even the book that he started to write or co-write called The Beautiful Ones, which was supposed yes. to be like a. Uh, memoir of a sorts. Memoir. It, he didn't finish it. He passed away before it was finished. But um, like, like half of the book is finished, and it is, it's rambling. It it's beautiful. <laughs> There's all kinds of cool pictures and stuff in it. But anything he puts in there is not a linear right discussion right. of his life. It's like Ulysses or something. Yeah, that's right. I made a Jane. James Joyce reference. Wow. I'm proud of you. So proud. Yeah. Now we have to just jump into <laughs> yeah, this. We but I, get wanna, it. I just want to <laughs> say this. I think this is a good way to jump in because we have to remember that all of this. So this is after 1999. This is after he be- gets his first platinum album. And the audio engineer that he worked with, Peggy McCreary, she says, after 1999, he became huge. With Purple Rain, he became a mega mogul. That's when the bodyguards came. The purple limos and the purple motorcycle would come down to the studio. When I first met him, he didn't even have a car here. He totally changed. When we were working on Purple Rain, I started reading about geniuses just so I could understand it all better. So this is really, we are jumping in. Yes. Head first, and I hope y'all along for the ride because it's about to get slippery and it's about to get wet. And we're not going to hit our head too hard or we're not going to be able to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> Jackie, you're scaring me. I, all right, this Your is eyes what, are how, so I'm, wide right now. <laughs> I want to jump in like this. I want to say this is uh, the ballsiest thing I think I've ever s- seen 
in terms of a move by a person for their career. By, by saying in the early 80s, Prince made his management obtain a deal for him to star in a major motion picture. And according to his former manager, Bob Cavallo, and he's threatened to leave the label if they couldn't. This is now I know he's got one out. Al- I don't even know if that album had hit yet. Uh, maybe it was. Yes, that album had hit but 1999. But like that is so crazy. Like, I don't know if you could imagine today that like Billie Eilish being like, OK, I know I've got this album, right? Now I'm going to star in my own movie. Yes. I'm going to take first-time producers. I'm going to take a writer who has never, I don't even know if she had written a screenplay before. No. I think it was a a female woman. It is the audacity of Prince is what this episode should be called. (laughs) The audacity of Prince. It's true, but he got it made. Yes, and Bob Cavallo said as well that not only did he want to make the major motion picture, that Prince had said it has to be with a studio, a big studio, not with some drug dealer or jewel financer, and his name had to be above the title. He wasn't a giant star yet. I mean, that demand was a little over the top, and yet... He got it. I, this is another thing that I really learned from Prince, and especially in this part that we're in right now. Not only do you fake it till you make it, but confidence gets you everywhere. If you yep. just believe mm-hmm. in yourself to a point that you're, you're, I'm gonna go and say you're considered a bastard. Uh, out of I touch think, with reality. Out in many completely ways. out of touch with yeah. reality. Um, sometimes but that's it why, works. Jackie, when you're auditioning for these pilots, you got to go in there and instead of what you normally would do, which is go maybe in the back corner of the room, mm-hmm. you need to go in there and be like, I'm not even auditioning for this. I have I this role. It. You already gave I'm it to me. I'm directing now. You're right. I yeah, should. I'm the director now. Oh my God, I should which be is directing. what he does in Under the Jerry Moon. That is but a we'll whole, get to Under we'll the Jerry go, Moon. We'll get to, we'll get to uh, that. We're going to get to it. So, so first, all right, there's two different things happening though right now. There's the album Purple Rain. And there is the film. And first I want to talk about, because the, the revolution is so important. The revolution yes. is the his band that will be with him for the next couple of albums. And even though they are referenced in 1999, there you can even see the word revolution in the cover of 1999. This is when he fully, like, they're fully indoctrinated into his work and his world. The members were Matt, Dr. Fink on synth. Uh, you can tell him because he's wearing a doctor costume. Uh, Brown Mark on bass Bobby Z Rifkin on drums Not Sheila E yet We will get into that Eric Leeds on sax Guitarist Wendy Melvoin And keyboardist Lisa Coleman And he uh, opened up the floor finally For the first album in his career To other musical ideas from like this group But I wonder if he opened up the musical ideas to other people because he is well known for the fact that he wants no one to help him with most anything. That I wonder right. if it's because he had the ideas. And so this entire time, he's also writing ideas for the movie. So he had uh, essentially what he wanted to happen in it. And in the movie, the kid, who is the character mm-hmm. he plays, opens up to his bandmates to help him co-write and contribute. And that's part of the arc. Major plot point is that he's not letting anyone in and then he finally, you know, opens up the door for Purple Rain or whatever in the right. movie. Right, and I wonder if th- the reason why he did that was to be like, well, then the, then the movie is more close to my actual life and to almost get more information on how that that would work because Dr. Fink, the keyboardist, still said, but Prince was the main lyricist and melody maker yes. for all the songs and never took any lyrical content from yes. people. So even though Absolutely. he was opening up, he was only opening up with the actual, like, 
music right. for it, not for any of the lyrics. Right. And and uh, I have to also, I want to briefly shout out Wendy and Lisa, the two females yes. who are in the revolution. They also, if you're not familiar with Purple Rain, the movie, his band plays the band in the movie. So And they're awesome. And they are so good in it. But Wendy and Lisa came in a little bit later on in the group. They replaced other people in the mm-hmm. band. And they not only are really talented, but they made this really important impact in the visualization of the band. Like when you go to see them, they are so much a part of the revolution. They The, the way that they take st- up the stage with their like presence is so important to that band. Which is also why and, they can't be a part of his music for very long. Right, exactly. Because they're yeah. too important. They, they eventually do, um, over the next few years, get into a tiff with him and he does dismiss them but they came in they were uh girlfriends ish i guess beforehand uh-huh. they weren't really open about it but um they they kept a band together afterwards uh called wendy and lisa and they did a bunch of like scores for tv and stuff but uh actually natalie you're becoming too knowledgeable on this dismiss no! i'm the new prince of the show <laughs> dismiss holden you're dismissed i've got other things to say no! dismiss. Are you being, you're dismissed. being a prince right now i'm the prince now okay <laughs> i just wanted to say quickly about wendy who is the guitarist she is so badass yeah. in the movie oh, yeah. she's yeah she's like rocking out on this fucking guitar in like lingerie but she just looks so tough and awesome and made me want to be her about wendy and lisa prince said wendy makes me seem all right in the eyes of people watching she keeps a smile on her face when i sneer she smiles it's not premeditated she just does it it's a good contrast lisa is like my sister She'll play what the average person won't. She'll press two notes with one finger so the chord is a lot larger. Things like that. She's more abstract. She's into Joni Mitchell, too. Which, which he really loved Joni he Mitchell. Loved he also covered a Joni Mitchell song as well. When he describes things, he often just makes a comment that doesn't lead to anything. And you're just <laughs> yeah. like, you're supposed to go like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. So Prince... Prince builds a soundstage and recording studio in a huge warehouse on Highway 7 in St. Louis Park, a suburb of Minneapolis. And this is really what helps the live vibe of the film scenes because they're working on a stage that feels like a live stage in a lot of ways when they're in rehearsals and things like that. The engineers, by the way, were also female. You had Susan Rogers and Peggy McCreary handling Mm -hmm. recordings. Uh, Rogers said, women have a very nurturing nature and Prince thrives in that atmosphere. He likes the studio atmosphere where people are flexible. Um, and uh, Fink, the keyboardist, the doctor, he said, we were basically in boot camp, a disciplined regimen of dance class, acting class, and band rehearsing throughout that whole summer for about three months straight leading up to the start of the filming process. Prince had an acting coach brought in, a dance instructor brought in. It was just day after day filled with all those elements. Prince just worked nonstop. He never slept. I mean, it's an amazing movie filled with people that have never acted before. This is all a lot of their first yeah. time things. They do the great. director is straight out of USC. Like it's nuts that they that the movie is what it is. And then it's as good as it is. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to say that maybe I agree with all of the Well, plot we'll points, get into this. But I really that. dug the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun. That date is so weird. We'll talk about it. I I did also though. I was watching the Sign of the Times film, yes. the concert film last night. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't help but think about it. I'm like, no, what? how many bands do you know of just break out into these like elaborate dance sequences 
in the middle of songs, you just don't really see that. I remember like, and this is a dumb example, but like, I remember watching Fish uh, perform and there was like one Ew. song where they would all unite by just like doing this weird <laughs> jumping movement where they would do this thing and everybody would be like, whoa, they're like jumping in unison. Parliament and, like, did that too. Look at Prince, dude. Yeah. Like, look at yeah. this band. Um, what were you going to say, Natalie? Yeah. Don't bring up fish anymore on this podcast. <laughs> okay, oh, I was just thinking like a. it was in a negative way at least. I and do. B- <laughs> I mean, I still have a bit of love for fish, but the, the, I, I promise we won't do pop history. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. No, we're not but doing the, a pop uh, history. <laughs> we're not. Uh, that is part of the, one of the things that makes the revolution so important to Prince and so special is the performances, not only in Purple Rain but in real life concerts, were like almost like musicals like they there were like yes. scenes that happened costume changes there were full like interactive dances with the bands not just like backup dancers like yes. they all were immersed in this like community performance yes. um that's just so fun to watch and so manic in the energy like when i had a couple drinks and i was watching sign of the times and there's like these scenes where prince and some of the the female dancers in, on stage are just like gyrating like thrashing themselves against this fence and i was like uh-huh. i feel like this all the time like this yeah. is my energy this is my energy level so much of the time and he's bringing it out in me to the point where i'm screaming still about it right now do you hear right. how loud i'm talking <laughs> it's so dramatic everything's so dramatic and so great and you get that in in this sh- in this show it's so funny too to even see anyone put put up against prince and his band in a performative sense like all throughout the movie he's like giving these just incredibly like classic historical performances and yet they're like the kids bands maybe not as good yeah, as the other bands like, and hey. like, what are you talking about the side characters the of candle. all of these movies are hilarious and yeah. usually are played by people like in Purple Rain he's played by the members of the time as well which like so they're all musicians and none of them are actors they're all just yeah. Prince's friends and bandmates and it's basically. I think it's because it was a way for him to have control over mm-hmm. everything and he wasn't bringing in people that he wasn't very familiar with. So Wendy Melvin says he prepared for Purple Rain in a way that he never did any other album because he had to, because the film slowed him down and that created time for him to reflect. On most albums, he was done in a second. Bobby says of the speed, you know, three weeks done, but Purple Rain had to stew for about six months. And so he really had to think about it, which I think shows later on in why this phase for him is so manic because he gets so immediately bored because he's so obsessed with it and he's so it's his entire life but then he's done and he wants to move on but you can't do that when you're writing both an album and a movie and starring in the movie and shooting the movie and then having to do all the press for a movie and that takes so much more time and he didn't want to do any of that mm-hmm. he just wanted to churn out his genius and that's it right keyboardist lisa coleman said i think he chose each of us for very simple reasons not because we were virtuosos although we were very good there was another quality he needed to have around him i love this a blend of loyalty a spirit of young hunger and a musical quality he didn't have each one of us had something he didn't have even though he had it all which i love that quote 
Um, and yeah, he he just had this vision in his head, this whole life, and and you feel, you sense it. You know what I mean? Like for watching the whole thing, mm-hmm. top to bottom. I mean, it's like you don't even need the movie. The album's so fucking good, but the movie just launches it to this other worldly level. So you've got his management team producing it: Robert Cavallo, Joseph Ruffalo, and Stephen Fargnoli. Sure, that's a name. Okay. Written by uh, Albert Magnoli and William Blinn. What's up with all these Gnolis? Uh, Blinn was. <laughs> Was known for only for a made-for-TV movie called Brian's Song, which sounds like such a title. Um, of a wait a second, movie. you never saw Brian's Song? No, it's like a. It was one of those movies that we were forced to watch in school. It's like, <laughs> and honestly, I would always just check out, but I'm pretty sure it's something to do about football players and one of them dying of cancer. Why did you have to watch that in school? I think it was like a health class kind of thing. Don't get cancer. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, be better at it. Be better. At it. I remember the bad seed. About the evil girl. Oh, uh, the, bad the bad scene is great. Did you, you didn't watch yeah, that in school, did you? Yeah, we watched that at school. What? In health class. Ooh. The bad seed? The bad seed, yeah. That's yeah, not she's a, a bad girl. Movie. <laughs> it's about a psycho <laughs> little kid. It Honestly, Holden, mom. you should remake the movie and star in it. Oh, I, think I would really love it. it. I love As that a little movie. girl. I'm not evil, daddy. <laughs> Henry plays the dad. That'd be so good. Henry's I have so the prettiest good. mother. <laughs> Just because I have a beard, daddy. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm evil, Daddy. <laughs> Ew, all right. I don't like how all we right, don't you know, do I mean, said Daddy. Magnola gets the script for a revision and wows Prince in a meeting about it. Having recounted a story about a love triangle, a great musician who needs to learn how to be a team player, and a troubled youth who's in a racial marriage, uh, married parents are constantly fighting. Daddy. Prince said in this meeting, I don't get it. This is the first time I met you, but you've told me more about what I've experienced than anybody in my life. Daddy. And that was, daddy. That was a, a, a sort of a touchy point for the African-American community at the time because Prince mm. is not interracial. Uh, yes. His parents were not interracial. He is black, um, but in the movie he has a, a white mother. But it, it is supposed mm-hmm. to kind of be his parents. Yes. Right. About his father, what we, and this is all called back from last week, which is so hard to recall for me at this point because my head is so filled with this week print, the, the 85 to 89, four years of his fucking <laughs> life. But uh, yeah, of course, we talked about the musician father and all that stuff going on, and that is definitely incorporated. Prince said, We used parts of my past and present to make this story pop more, but it was a story. My dad wouldn't have nothing to do with guns. He never swore, still doesn't, and never drinks. But also, Prince said, he never says, I love you. And whenever we try to hug or something, we bang our heads together like in some Charlie Chaplin movie. Get a therapist. Right. But a while ago, (laughs) but a while ago, he was telling me how I always had to be careful. My father told me, if anything happens to you, I'm gone. All I thought at first was that it was a real nice thing to say. But then I thought about it for a while and realized something. That was my father's way of saying, I love you. I don't know. Uh, If anything happens, if you die, I'm going to kill myself? Let's unpack it. Is that what that meant? I mean, he also talked about like how his, his dad kicked him out of the house one time and he called him uh, from a payphone begging to be let back in and he just said no and he just sat stood there crying for hours and how awful it was like he definitely had a rough crazy relationship with his dad they definitely capture an element of that in the film and I think that's why actually 
pretty decent dramatic performances from Prince. I mean, it is sure. played up a little bit. Well, apparently the scene where he like hangs himself in in a fever dream of sorts. Spoiler he, alert. He, well, I mean, it's Purple Rain. I also hadn't seen Purple Rain. I wouldn't throw it out We're there before this. We're going to spoil the whole movie because it's yeah. 30 years old. But I, <laughs> I did know those things. And apparently in the scene, he was losing his mind as he's actually recording when they were filming him doing it and oh, just wow. like crying and screaming because for him i mean this he was he was at least this is what people go to theater school for years to figure out how to do how sure. to tap into shit like this and at least he was trying as well as the fact that he really wanted um the story to be a lot darker originally okay. when he really wanted the kid character Prince plays is diagnosed schizophrenic, who as a child watches his mother shoot his father and then turn the gun on herself. Ooh. So that's why he's got all of these issues. It so that's is where all of it's still came a from. dark movie because the mother is beaten senselessly oh, yeah. throughout the entire Women thing. Women are not treated well in are the you lives. What are you talking about? Are you talking about the part where he just leaves a naked woman <laughs> after making her take all of her in clothes in the middle off. of nowhere or what or the part where the other guy throws the woman into Gross. a garbage into can a woman for comedic into effect. a garbage can and it's supposed to be a funny joke moment right in another ways that unfortunately i think that purple rain mimics prince's life that i think that we would be remiss to not discuss at this point some of the highlights as well of his love relationship, especially what's going on while he's making Purple Rain. So at this time, Prince was dating a woman that he decided her name was Vanity. That is not her actual name. <laughs> that who is the lead singer from I'm the I'm going to start naming women is what I'm going to start. I'm just like, your name's now um, Firebrand. That's <laughs> I your love name. Firebrand, Me? please. Yeah. Oh, wait, I know. Who's, which one of us is Firebrand? Do we have to You're fight Firebrand, over it? Natalie, and yes. you, Jackie, are Oxygen. Okay, so Ox... Oh, you better watch out because I'm going to make you bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Just right. Am I just feeding you over here? <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> We're going crazy. We've been in Princeland for so long. Prince, and Princeland isn't going anywhere. So Vanity <laughs> is the lead singer from an all-female pop group, Vanity Six, and she was supposed to originally play Apollonia. She was essentially, quote-unquote, made by Prince. He was the one who not only gave her a name, but only also had formed the group that he made her the lead of. I will say that he was a huge believer in female musicians, and I do enjoy that. We brought that up last time. But she had helped work on the script of Purple Rain with him, and Apollonia was loosely based off of her life story. Now, remember, Apollonia even joins the Apollonia Six in the movie, yes. as, which is based off of the Vanity Six. But they broke up before filming started, and mm. she had said about it, I needed one person to love me, and he needed more. And oh. so they broke up, and he brings in Apollonia Cotero, who plays Apollonia in the movie. And guess what? They had started dating as they were sex. filming, and they had lots of sex. <laughs> and she was an actress and a model. And she took gorgeous. over also. Gorgeous. gorgeous. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Breasts gorgeous. like a fucking angel. Every straight, he straight rubs her vagina. Oh, my God. Oh he my is God. rubbing her vagina. He rubs they have a graphic sex scene in this movie. I couldn't believe they allowed it. I, I can't believe the censors allowed that. That was like he was straight. Just stroking it. Like, I was like, whoa. 
But also, he changed her name officially from Patricia to Apollonia in real life, and then in real life, took Vanity off of being the lead singer of the oh. pop group and put Apollonia in Apollonia. and renamed it the Apollonia Oxygen. Six. How do you feel about that? Wow. Actually, how do you feel about back it, Coleslaw? Back Do you hear that? Your name's Coleslaw now. I oh, Coleslaw. <laughs> Throw them all in a dumpster. <laughs> Oxygen is, is here high, to is play. Is that my shitty take? <laughs> um, so I just needed to scream about that for a second because that's, in, I mean, he's just. That's insane. That's insane. I don't, yeah, I think there's a lot going on. I think he was so special to so many people that it was hard to speak. And at least he wasn't, you know, you know, uh, leaving, never landing it. You know what no. I mean? But like, I got to say, first, this is not this is not right. I don't agree with it, but it's how I feel that because he's so tiny, his toxic masculinity doesn't <laughs> threaten me as much. And I'm kind of into it because I feel like I could just crush him if Am I, I wanted just to. getting an insight into your marriage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that what's happening? Right? Firebrand. Firebread strikes again. Fire strike. Yeah. That's the sound of the fire. My husband is not a toxic masculine man. You kind of have a point there. Also, he really did reach godlike heights. I feel like with Purple Rain, and after that moment, he could kind of do whatever the fuck he wanted, short of like murdering someone. But we don't even know that because he may have murdered somebody and got away with it completely. You know what I mean? I feel like he gets a big pass on being kind of, but but also I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird. He kind of talks about this too. His parents were in complete polar opposites. His mom was like a party in real life, not in purple. Yes. His mom was like a party animal, and she just wanted to play and have fun, and she was very sexual. And his father was a really buttoned up religious conservative guy who didn't like any of that stuff and so uh-huh. he seems to constantly be battling those two polar opposites mm-hmm. inside of himself because his father also beat his mother in real life that was right. like she, he didn't like that she wanted to go out and play and have fun so he's at odds with himself all the time and so sometimes he's very strong in the feminist sense and other times he's very misogynistic and it makes me horny. <laughs> and it makes me horny. <laughs> Hell yeah, Natalie. We're living our truth here on That's this week's right. pop history. Don't sex shame me. Hell yeah. Hey guys, just so you remember, next week you'll only be able to listen to page seven on Spotify. So why don't you go ahead and download the app now? We'll be waiting for you over there. Now back to the show. So now I want to scream for a little bit about like how amazing the performance that shaped the album and the movie came together and then and then this this movie hitting. So Magnoli actually Purple Rain the song incredibly enough as much as Pit Prince had this big vision and everything wasn't necessarily the song or even the name of the album or anything at the point that Magnoli hears Purple Rain performed in the First Avenue Club which is a big big deal so First Avenue Club is where all those like club sh- scenes were shot they just named in Minneapolis it. What yeah what was the name of it in the movie it was called something else was it called First Avenue Club I I thought it was still called First Avenue because they all had their own names except for the kid pretty much so right which is so weird but anyway so the First Avenue Club Club in downtown Minneapolis, he approaches Prince about it afterward, and is like, "That's the song, essentially." At the end of the for the end of the film, yeah. And Prince responds, "It's really not done yet, 
But also he says, if that's the song, can Purple Rain be the title of the movie? This was actually a concert on August 3rd, 1983 that was so important they ended up using some of the recordings on the Purple Rain soundtrack. Lisa Coleman said, this is insane, by the way. It was Wendy's first show. To have that be her anointing was a lot to live up to. But he was so supportive of her. He took her under his wing. He helped her relax and not be too nervous. We were unsure what was going to happen. But we hit the stage with such conviction that it didn't really matter. The crowd were with us. It was hot. It was August. It was jam-packed in the club. It was sweaty and smoky and vibey as hell. She also said, at first, he wasn't sure Purple Rain was actually a Prince song. That's insane to me, by the way. That's me saying that. She also said it was kind of a country number. Yeah, I think and they he changed gave- it. It was probably yeah. a different song originally. And he gave it to Stevie Nicks, yeah. but she was felt intimidated actually, by it. Actually, the quote was, it was from Stevie Nicks, it was so overwhelming. That 10-minute track. I listened to it, and I just got scared. I called him back and said, I can't do it. I wish I could. It's just too much for me. Which, that's Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Yeah. So one day, this is Lisa again, one day he decided to fool around with it at rehearsal. Wendy started hitting these big chords, and that rejigged his idea of the song. He was excited to hear it voiced differently. It took it out of that country feeling. Then we all started playing it a bit harder and taking it more seriously. We played it for six hours straight, and by the end of that day, we had it mostly written and arranged. So that's how it all came together. Completely insane. The film comes out. The film makes back its $7 million budget in the first weekend and went on to make around uh, almost $70 million in the box office. The number, the soundtrack was number one on the Billboard charts for 24 consecutive weeks. At one point, Prince had the number one movie, album, and single in the country, which I don't know. has if The anyone, Beatles. The only the Beatles. people that had ever done it before was the Beatles. That's insane. Yep. Also, it won an Academy Award for Best Original Sc- Song Score. So I love that the Academy As Award recognized yeah. that uh, a film <laughs> where a grown woman gets thrown into <laughs> a Did that scene and, get any awards, Coleslaw? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it got for, be- for Best Shitty represent- <laughs> shitty Joke Made on a Woman that year, which honestly was a lot of competition back there in 1985. Was, there was. Uh, a lot. I I can't I mean there's so much to go into we didn't even really talk about when doves cry and how crazy that song is and how just not there's nothing like it and yet it still was this giant hit and I, I Warner Brothers all as always is like this can't be the number one single you're, you're the first single you're gonna put out we need like another 1999 he's like no this is it son and then I'm sure he didn't say son he probably said daddy but he (laughs) threw that track out like it is so it is so memorable also I love this element A, a young annoying Tipper Gore Happens oh, upon her 11-year-old daughter, Corinna, listening to Darly, Darling Nikki, which, of course, has the lines, you know, it masturbating a to a magazine. It is a lot for an 11-year-old girl to hear. It's a lot. I love, too, that I, I, I was reading some other thing, and apparently she was, like, singing along to it. She, oh. like, knew, the 11-year-old <laughs> knew the Imagine lyrics. Imagine your kid, you walk in, your kid's talking about masturbating at, like, 11. Right? <laughs> well, what grade, what grade is that, though? Because I was listening like to some fifth. pretty... It's fifth grade. Okay, I was li- I was just starting to listen to like Nirvana. Oh, I would have been listening to this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember sure. like listening to the song "Rape Me" from In Utero by Nirvana yeah. in oh, like fifth or sixth grade. Oh, so yeah. honestly, I mean, we had our own version of it, right? So actually, 
it is Prince in a lot of ways that led to the parental advisory explicit lyrics sticker, which came about during our youth. And I remember that was such a huge deal. Um, his song was number one on the fil- Filthy 15, which was a list of songs that they pulled for examples of very crude lyrics. But I love it. To, uh, this is to Prince's credit. He didn't oppose the label system yeah. and became one of the first artists to release a quote unquote clean version of explicit albums. So what I liked about it is that even though he was being I mean, he's not even being censored. I, I understand. I, I mean, whatever with it. But I, at least he did lean into it. He's like, all right. Well, yeah. I'm not going to start writing stop writing it like this, but I will make clean it versions does of also, my songs. It also it adds to have a foil in that way adds to the allure of the music. So, sure. if you get a label that says like it's dangerous, it's just going to make kids want it more. I know. This is which the is thing. Cool because you know what? It's cool though. I think that it it serves the music. I think it helps mm-hmm. a lot of ways. It help it helps the musicians and yeah. I was I would be disappointed if if I picked out an album and it didn't have a parental advisory sticker on it. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, oh, it's not got that dirty, dirty on yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's good to have the opposition for the art. I do think that's true. Well, and something that I think that we need to bring up that will come into play later on with the other two movies is sure. that to remember at this time that he released the album of Purple Rain a month before the movie came out. So he wanted people to hear the music, but people were hearing the music and not understanding what this was going to, even though it was very loosely based into the plot of it. But at this time as well, to increase his elusiveness, I will keep saying, Prince didn't do (laughs) one interview during the entire Purple Rain cycle. From the time that 1999 came out until after Around the World in a Day, the next album came out, he didn't do one. Any kind of interview. Any kind of press. Anywhere. Because he wanted to keep up. I think either he wanted to keep up the mystique or he was just so busy working he wasn't even fucking thinking about it. I mean, I think it was, uh, and we're about to get into this stuff. Actually, he does address some of that. I think there's a really good, by the way, uh, interview in Rolling Stone that literally is titled Prince Breaks the Silence. I mean, that's like how big of a deal it was that he was not talking to anybody. Uh, So in that interview, though, he talks about how, and I loved this, that because Around the World in a Day, which we're about to get into, is very different Mm -hmm. from Purple Rain. And he even says that he, he purposely, and he's happy that he made this album as soon as he was finished with Purple Rain so that he would have no concept of what the feedback was going to be on Purple Rain. He also even said, which is so true because uh, the 1999 release... Uh, the they released a deluxe edition this year that I got for my brother for Christmas on vinyl, which yeah, is really cool. Yeah, we heard about it, Coleslaw. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But they, uh, uh, it has... And like triple the amount of tracks on it that 1999 had, and even said in the in the, I think that interview he was like, I had another 1999, like I had it all recorded. I could have just released that album, and everybody would have been like, hell yeah, give me some more of that 1999. But I refuse to do that. I I can't do that. That's not me. I want to. He doesn't keep- like looking back, and he just wants to keep going because that's yes. what Bobby Z says about him. He said before we even hit the first show of the Purple Rain tour, he was already bored with Purple Rain. Yeah. He really thought that people would be done with Purple Rain by then. But as we know now, they're not done with Purple Rain. He was <laughs> just moving so fast. It was like, next, next, next. But Purple Rain is something that people want to examine for centuries now. I look back at everything, but he did it. He wasn't very yeah. good at looking back. And it's something that keeps coming again and again. But it also shows when someone doesn't look back, 
They also don't learn from their mistakes in the long run. Mm. Therapy. Why would you? You just let other people <laughs> deal. You leave people in the wake of the disaster that you've created, and you just let them. And you fix just it. keep going. I think it's a great way to live. <laughs> I love this quote from Prince about standing out. He said, what they fail to realize is that is, is that is exactly what we want to do. It's not silliness. It's sickness. Sickness is just slang for doing things somebody else wouldn't do. If we are down on the floor doing a step, that's something somebody else wouldn't do. That's what I'm looking for all the time. We don't look for whether something's cool or not. That's not what time it is. It's not just wanting to be out. It's just if I do something that I think belongs to someone else or sounds like someone else, I do something else. Prince, you're so good. He's so, which is why we enter into the world of Around the World in a Day, which yes. he releases wild. While they are still on tour with Purple Rain, even though no one wants him to do that. <laughs> A 98-date Purple Rain tour. <sighs> and he is exhausted. He announces in 1985 that he will no longer do live performances or music videos after the release of his next album, sure, which obviously sure, is sure, not sure. true. Mm-hmm. So he gets really experimental, and he gets very psychedelic. And he, uh, uh, as we said, breaks his silence to Rolling Stone. He says, I've heard some people say that I'm not talking about anything on this record. And what a lot of other people get wrong about the record is that I'm not trying to be this great visionary wizard. Paisley Park is in everybody's heart. It's not just something that I have the keys to. I was trying to say something about looking inside oneself to find perfection. Perfection is in everyone. Nobody's perfect, but they can be. We may never reach that, but it's better to strive than not. And I think that that is very nonsensical. Yes. And, yes. Uh, as Natalie said, it's like, that, that, it that doesn't make all over the place and nowhere. Because yeah. at the same time, Prince <laughs> is also openly saying that this album was not going to appeal to as many people. And I think that this was him because he was so hung up on what critics said because even though he was like, I don't want to even hear it. I don't even want to know what they're saying. He still knew what they were saying because, quote, I sort of had an F.U. attitude, meaning that I was making something for myself and for my fans and the people that supported me throughout the years. I wanted to give them something and it was like my mental letter. But then Susan Rogers, who is Prince's sound engineer from Purple Rain and Around the World in a Day, said, I think the fuck you attitude sounds a little harsh. He was at the happiest time in his life. And I think (laughs) that was important. He was in power. He was determined he wasn't going to make Purple Rain 2. He was in a position to test his creative strength. He was smart enough to know what he had to do. Around the World in a Day was the record he absolutely had to make. Which I like though, it, too. I like I it. I like that yeah. album. It's very I think it's different cool. from yeah. Purple Rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does have what? Raspberry Berets on it, right? Yeah. yeah. Am I mistaken? I've, yeah. Listened, I've been listening to it so much that it's all like a chumble right No, he did. Raspberry yeah. Berets, a great pop song. And it was a huge hit. Yeah. It, yeah. it was big. And, and... But the album itself is, yeah, it's it's all over the place. It's very experimental. It's just, I can tell he's just letting it all fucking hang out. And I appreciate that creatively. I love that he's the opposite of so many pop stars I see today, that every album is this big statement and very con- precise and very, like, surgically laid out because it's like, this is my new, whereas Around the World feels just like, I felt this in this moment in the studio. I laid this track down, and I this is me right now in a moment. Well, like, as much as I could be happy for him that he's doing this, and then I do enjoy this album. It's not what anybody wanted. He didn't want to make Purple Rain 2, but I think people wanted Purple Rain 2 because this is the beginning of another slump. For Prince, yeah. because even though all of this stuff happens, this is he went from the highest that he immediately goes 
to a very quick low. Speaking of what, another thing nobody wanted, Under the Cherry Moon is Prince's second film. Oh, wait, uh, no, this is also at the same time. In between this, <laughs> Prince uh, is offered <laughs> and is the lone major artist to refuse recording We Are the World. So that's in between these, between... Um, I did not catch that. Between Around the World in a Day and Parade, which we will get to, this is the time that Quincy Jones comes to him and was like, will you please do this? All these artists are doing it. And it was read as arrogance and selfishness, but as his protege, Wendy Melvin later explained for Prince, it was all about quality control. He felt like the song was horrible, she told author Alan Light for his book, Let's Go Crazy. Mm. And he didn't want to be around all those, quote, motherfuckers. <laughs> and Lionel Richie said about it, I would love to tell you that that's different from anything else he's ever done. That's just Prince. Of course, he's not going to be at a, with a group of singers at a time when we all want him to show up. But what he did do is he called up Quincy Jones and was like, okay, I'm not going to sing on the song, right? But I will contribute a song to the USA for Africa album. Or I'll send Sheila E. as the Paisley Park representative. Or I'm down to play guitar on the track. But when his manager, Bob Cavallo, called up Quincy Jones to tell him this, Quincy Jones' response was, I don't need him to play fucking guitar. Whoa. <laughs> Man, so, that's a lot of egos going on in that song. I can't lot. imagine trying to organize well, all this fucking What's so people. weird, too, is that this is after he had won, I believe he had won for, like, Best Album. He'd won all these AMAs, and they recorded it the night after the AMAs. So they all knew he was there, and they all knew he was around, and then he just... Didn't show up, and he also I mean, banned all of the revolution from going to go play wait, on the song as is, well. Was this from that clip we use in our live yes. show of yes. him on stage? Do you want to describe that? Describe that clip, uh, Natalie. He uh, he's on stage with everyone, <laughs> so he's there, and he, everybody's doing a big group song. We are the world performance, and he's in the front, but he's just sucking on a lollipop. <laughs> And then somebody, is it Quincy Jones hands him, yes. tries to get him to sing, and he just like a child pulls the lollipop <laughs> out of his mouth and starts to stick it in the face of Quincy Jones. Instead of just singing Instead the fucking of singing song, it. But why, did, why did he go sing up? the song? Why did, he, why did he stand there? So he donated the song for the tears in your eyes, and no one knows if he actually wrote it for the album or if he had just plucked it from one of his many songs that he had. Was yeah, because like, well, he has so much this. extra material. Absolutely. So, okay, so now we get into Parade. Now we get into Under the Cherry Moon. Under the Cherry Moon, originally directed by Mary Lambert, who was notable up to that point for directing a bunch of classic music videos. But she as, had never done a feature film before. But she did Janet Jackson's Nasty, mm -hmm. Madonna videos such as Like a Virgin, Material Girl, and Like a Prayer. I mean, these are iconic. Also, I mean, we've seen a lot of music video people transition very well into, uh, you know, Spike. Uh, sure. Spike, sure. Spike Jones. Yeah. Um, that other, the French man who did the memory movie. But even Mary Lambert was not ready to do this feature. She didn't really want to do it, and no. Prince kind of convinced her. Because in Prince's mind, this is going to be again another Purple Rain. He's like, I'm going to make Parade. Yeah. It's going to be the soundtrack. And then this is going to be Purple Rain all over again. And this is really where his genius starts to do, destroy Did you guys have him. any thought of what you imagined under the cherry moon would be it wasn't what i watched right <laughs> especially I, with i listened to so because the same with purple rain uh parade was released months before the movie 
came out. So I did the same thing. I was like, all right, I'm gonna listen to the soundtrack. I listened. I listened to all of Parade. Great album. Sure. I dug it. And then I watched Under the Cherry Moon, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? He had such a vision. It's really um, what it is. <laughs> it's and, a vision. And, you know, so much of a vision that first of all, and yeah, this is exact. This is totally like. Purple Rain worked out, so now I get to make these demands, and then these demands don't work out so hot. He's like, it has to be black and white, and Warner Brothers is like, please don't do that. That's not going to help us. <laughs> and then he's arguing with Mary Lambert so much that he, he ends up firing her and just taking over fully as director of the film. I love the statement that she issued after she left. She decla- she left as director, and she said, I'm leaving under totally amicable circumstances. It's just become quite apparent that Prince has such a strong vision of what this movie should be, a vision that extends to so many areas of the film that it makes no sense for me to stand between him and the film anymore. So I'm going to go off and work on my own feature and letting him finish this alone. And she is in the opening credits. She's listed as something like visual creator or some some weird title. <laughs> yes. Because Thought she maker. did work on it. Uh, so Jackie, yeah, she did. How would how would you describe what you saw on the screen the other day? Like well, what was the Honestly, movie? it was it was a very weird sense about it that it was a little bit of dirty rotten scoundrels but yeah very serious and very campy that Mm -hmm. I feel like if it had gotten more campy I would have definitely been into it but instead it was this very serious movie about um Prince is playing the main dude who's which is one of his alter is one of his like alter egos and also he is his brother is played by the times jerome benton and they are both two scam artists in nice and they're looking for like a hot piece of tail to make a bunch of money off of because that's how they would make their money is that prince would go and bang some old wealthy woman and make a bunch of money from that so he, he sets his sights on kristen scott thomas and it's a, her first movie she's great in it and she's 21, and at her 21st birthday, she's going to get $50 million. And he's like, I'm going to marry this girl. So he and his buddy go after it. So it's all done in black and white. It seems like it's set in, like, the 1940s. Well, it's it's modern. If you see, they but have— But it is modern. Yeah, but they have modern technology—well, 80s modern technology in the movie. <laughs> but it, it is obviously something he was trying to make look like a, like a 50s— Like the Great Gatsby. Like, French yeah. noir movie. Yes. And, and it yeah. has that—, that it's beautiful. Honestly, it was beautifully filmed. I liked filmed watching in France, it. Filmed in France in the French Riviera. Uh, and also- his directing was really not that bad. It wasn't. And and I will say I also really enjoyed, he did sort of subvert the male, he, he the character he plays has some sort of feminine traits to it that I found kind of like charming. Well, and that's what I like is that Jerome Benton, who played his counterpart, said that Prince's portrayal of Christopher Tracy in Under the Cherry Moon came closest to capturing his real-life personality. He said, okay. I think there were some elements of that character that came from who he was as a person. You come real close to the Prince that you were allowed to see. I know another Prince as well. I know an emotional Prince. I know a caring Prince. People don't talk about his caring side. So yes, that would be as close to getting to know him as you could. He's also like he does uh, generally with movie releases. He changes up his look for this one. He's now sporting slick back hair and dress shirts. The album itself, very European influence. Obviously, he's making it in France and all that stuff. The real showstopper is, of course, the song Kiss. It's like one of his greatest, I think, when people remember 
Prince and his music Kiss is largely the the number one for a ton of people outside of Purple Rain. It's just weird because in the movie she didn't really want the kiss when this like <laughs> that's such a great like sexy song, but in the uh-huh. movie part of it I was just like well, well, that's, that's so same, weird. That's... It's the same thing in Purple Rain with Darling Nikki. It's like a, <laughs> yeah. a song that's upsetting, upsetting. Apollonia. He's like having and, a meltdown on yeah, stage. Totally. Yeah. And Purple Rain and Under the Cherry Moon, very similar plot lines in a lot of ways where it's like two men who are like frenemies are like they're foils for each other and they're both fighting for the the like manic pixie dream girl character esque of of prince world and there's a weird sexual (laughs) energy between the two lead men as well as the woman and also similar to purple rain that apollonia was actually supposed to play this part but they broke up so he had to get somebody else but then and that was what's her name uh kristen scott thomas that was her first feature but she ended up having a very long film career yeah nice did he have sex with her in real life as well I don't, I don't know. really know. I'm gonna assume <laughs> with that how they did have fun chemistry on on mm-hmm. uh, in the movie. She's but, very charming in it. Yeah. And then this entire time, it really becomes apparent that, and this again blows my mind, that Warner Brothers again gave Prince creative autonomy. That he, they financed the new film without even seeing a script beforehand. I mean, Purple Rain was a giant fucking right. success. Why would you ever do that? It's like, wow. You, you know what? Warner Brothers fucked up on this. Well, it's this, sort this of was a, their fuck up. It's a curse that happens with a lot of features that go, you know, multi, multi-million profit. They A lot of times the second script, they just yeah, green light, just and then it's light. some fucking nightmare scenario that the person's <laughs> brain was like, this is what I really want to make, blah, blah, blah. And then yes. they just make a, a terrible movie. But you know what? That's great. They got it made, and I'm happy for them. So before we move on to um, um, some dark end of the end of the revolution is what I titled this next section of my notes. But before we get there, I just want to talk a little bit more about the song Kiss since it is so important. It started out as an acoustic demo all done by Prince. Then they gave it to then he gave it to the funk band Maserati, which is a great name for a funk band, by the way. It for is. Their, for their debut album, which was produced by David Z, who helped Prince with his early demos and got him a deal with Warner Brothers, all that stuff we talked about in episode one. Prince decides to finish the song, though, using the work David Z did with uh, Maserati and using Maserati's background vocals. What I like about this is that he told the Revolution members that were a part of Maserati, Mark Brown and Bobby Rifkin, when he takes the song back, he said, it's just too good for you guys. <laughs> and that's why he took the fucking song back. And again, and this might say a little something about what you were just talking about, Natalie. Uh, Kiss was another tough sell for Warner Brothers since it was so minimalist and so unlike his previous singles, When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy. But also they had a weird issue with When Doves Cry because it was so different from 1999. And I think that he's just on this weird streak where he, uh, besides Around the World, even but Around the World had you know Raspberry Beret, he keeps proving them wrong. So that's the track record. Those, every one of those songs is phenomenal. They're, it's great. Yes. Holy but it's shit. just the movie. I mean, if the movie was this big hit, we would have been telling a different story. Also, Prince probably would have directed a lot more movies. I'm glad that maybe it didn't work so well because I'd rather. Oh, he wrote a lot more scripts. Don't you worry. <laughs> so, so okay. Prince starts to give the Revolution at this around this time a cold shoulder while they're on this tour for Parade and everything. According to an interview from Wendy Melvin. He would literally not look at them during rehearsals as the band shifted from a rock band to more of an 
R&B funk band. And essentially what happened was he was working with this funk group called The Family. He was kind of helping them out, just like he was helping The Time out. The Time, which was the rival band in Purple Rain that we didn't really even talk about that much. No, I have so many band things I haven't even said yet. And we've already been so talking much. for an hour. Oh, yeah, know, no. We've got so much. We have to get to 1989. We have to. <laughs> we're, go, we're getting That's there today, Jackie's guys. Jackie's Don't worry. If we go over, we go over. Like, I've, I'm here. I'm here with y'all. Um, so yeah, the time. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about the time? The who was the front man for it too? What was his name? Do you guys have that? I don't. Have I didn't it get the into the time. Head. I've got more. I got other things. We talked about. Oh no, we talked about the time last episode. I know we did. That band dissolves not too long after Purple Rain. Uh, Vinny's working with the family, this funk band, and they even talk about it in the Rolling Stone interview. Like they go and play ping pong while the band is rehearsing. I think at Paisley Park. Uh, and they're just all hanging out there. It was really just a band he was facilitating. He put so much stuff out himself that it's hard to even get to all the shit he facilitated on the side. That was a, a, a but that was another big one. Was this group the family? And he starts bringing members of them in. Um, as they were dissolving and stuff. And also, he's bringing in dancers that weren't even playing instruments. And I think that was really hard for the band themselves. It was. And also, the dancers who you you can see them in uh, a bunch of the yeah. stuff like from, uh, what's the, uh, oh my God, what's it called? The, sign, sign of the Times. Sign of the Times. They're, they're, in, like, the they're the times. in it. And they're also in the background yeah. of Purple Rain and stuff. It was like his security team. They were these like macho dudes who came in as security and then he started incorporating them into like the art side of it and it kind of changed the vibe and then the female yeah. members kind of didn't like the the vibe that was giving off at that point because it was much more of a feminine vibe earlier right. and kind of shifting it. Wendy and Lisa by the way are a smoke show in Sign of the Times. Um oh my god, so awesome. And <laughs> another weird thing, so Wendy's twin sister Susanna is also a vocalist, and he started, mm. he was engaged to her. So, yes, yes. Wendy is a lesbian. Her twin is straight, and she started dating Prince and then also was doing vocals with him. And he wrote the song Nothing Compares to You about her. Mm -hmm. Yes. But then eventually, Shade O'Connor um, made it a big hit. Yes. But that song was about his guitarist's twin sister. Who he and was she didn't like that her twin sister was coming in. She, well, I think she weird. even had a quote. I don't know if you have this quote. She was like, I shared a womb with her. I have to share a stage with her too. No. It's weird. Was <laughs> it's weird because Wendy was there first and like had a relationship with Prince. And then Prince is basically going like, I'm going to take a carbon copy of you and start fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, because obviously he wanted, I'm, I'm going to assume, wanted to have sex with Wendy the entire time. Um. Also, just quickly... Uh, their brother, Jonathan Melvin, Melvian, I don't know how to say their last name. I was saying, I think we're decided on Melvoin. Melvoin. He was uh, the key, the keyboardist for the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, and no can, shit. Yeah, you can see him in some of their music videos, but he- Talented family. I know. He, he unfortunately passed away from a heroin overdose at 34. Uh. Um, but they have this huge mu musical legacy in their family. Their father was also a musician. <laughs> So that's cool. Wow. Fuck so yeah. so there's this this weird vibe for the tour. In the US it's called the Hit and Run Tour. It's called the Parade Tour for the Worldwide Leg. 
and they're just barely getting through it. There's even a moment where Bobby Z has to go catch Wendy and Lisa at the airport as they're about to get on a flight to get the fuck off the tour and beg them to just stick it out through the rest of it. The last night of the tour in Yokohama, Japan, Prince smashes all of his guitars after a final encore of Purple Rain, and Wendy just looks at her other bandmates and whispers, it's over, (laughs) and they all agree. And shortly after Wendy and Lisa, he invites them over to dinner and they get fired. Uh, Susanna ends up leaving after uh, they have a messy breakout. Do you have breakup rather? Do you have more on? I mean, it seems like they had a tumultuous relationship. I think he had a tumultuous relationship with a lot of people. With a lot of people. I think that's pretty Um, much how every relationship ended with him. I think he just really didn't want to let anybody. And it's true. He had a a purple dumpster in his backyard. (laughs) And at the end, (laughs) he'd always say, honey, come out there. And then he'd throw them in. And he would throw them in. Taking out the purple trash. (laughs) You know what? At the bottom of the dumpster, it was actually a slide. So afterwards, they had a fun slide ride, and then it dumped him out on the street. See, then it makes it more fun. Dumped him out into a pile of bones, and that's where oh, the idea for sure. nothing but trouble. trouble. Oh my god! Did Prince also write and direct nothing but trouble? Yes, <laughs> we're gonna did. we're gonna make that reality now. We're changing it. <laughs> so. Yeah, they're fired. Bobby Z is replaced with Sheila E here as well. The bassist Mark Brown leaves out of respect for the others, or Brown Mark rather. That's funny. I said Mark Brown. I'm dyslexic, I guess. Also, uh, he he also wanted to be like a solo artist. And Matt Fink was the only one who would end up staying on until uh, n- at least 1991. I want to talk a little bit about Sheila E. Sheila E. Spotlight. Not. I'm not going to spend too much time. For the love of God, we got to keep moving. But Sheila E. You can't, I mean, when you talk about Prince, you have to talk about her. Born in Oakland, California, her father is a percussionist of, uh, is a percussionist of Mexican-American origin. Her mother is of Creole, French, slash African descent. So she's just got the perfect genes. She's so attractive. (laughs) And she's so talented. And just, I I was watching her perform and I was just like, I'm, I'm, I, no wonder they had to hook up. You know, right. they had you to had and, to, and work I, together and fuck I each other. I want to watch that. Yes, I would watch yeah. that too. Uh, her uncle is musician Alejandro Escovado, Escovedo. Her her godfather is actually Tito Puente. Damn. So she is from this major Lineage. jazz music family. And she's starting out uh, uh, with jazz bassist Alfonso Johnson. In 1976, she uh, records on her first album of his called Yesterday's Dream. And that was her first recording experience. By her early 20s, she'd already played with Lionel Richie, Marvin Gaye, Herbie Hancock, and Diana Ross. Just to name a few, she is fucking on fire. Prince meets her at a concert in 1978 where she was performing with her father, which is super sweet. She would do that a lot. And after the show, he told her that he and bassist Andre Simone, quote, were just fighting about which one of us would be the first to be your husband and vowed that she would one day join his band. She first ends up actually working with him on some Purple Rain sessions, providing vocals on Let's Go Crazy and Erotic City. And now she's under Prince's wing. She releases her debut album, The Glamorous Life, which did pretty well on the charts um, and ends up opening for Prince on his Purple Rain tour. But uh, And they would also, of course, have a relationship, as we just said, and even got engaged for a little while. Well, that's what Sheila E. said, that she confirmed the rumor that Prince proposed to her on stage. She says, yes, during the sign of the Times tour, 
I was playing drums, sexy, mm-hmm. and it was during Purple Rain. That song always made me cry. We were so into it. The way he played, my God. My eyes were closed a lot during that song. It was just so emotional. Musically, you know when you get to that place when you're just one? We hit that place. And when I opened my eyes, I could see his eyes were opening as well. He turned and looked at me during his solo, and that's when he asked me to marry him. And I said yes. We were still playing the song. And then she, the, the interviewer also asked if the audience was aware of the fact that that had happened, and she said no. So in my brain, what I'm assuming happened was just like what Prince thinks love <laughs> is in every mm-hmm. other instance, as you can see in both Purple Rain and Under the Cherry Moon, is that all you gotta do is stare at a girl and just kind of like bite your lip and like kind of suck on a finger from across the room and she just melts. It worked. Also, and she, she gives her life to you. I mean, you also have to to think about how much of a dream it is for every woman that a man comes up to you and says, I and another man were fighting over who will, will be your husband and I won the fight. So I will now be your I'm marriage your husband partner. Now. <laughs> and of course, um, that doesn't last long. They don't even get married. Uh, uh, of I don't course believe. not. But they still continue to work together, which I will say, um, that is not true for most of the people that he leaves in his purple wake. <laughs> so the, I guess something got happen. I feel happen. like she, uh, she sort of elevated above his like dumb relationship shit. It's like, look, you're, we're, I'm too good at this and you're too good at this. And so they, <laughs> they kept doing the music stuff yes. together. Now at this time, this is also when Prince, so he thinks he ha- now has carte blanche still. And before Sign of the Times gets released, he's working on a triple album called Crystal Ball throughout 1986. And I know, Oxygen, you were super excited to talk about Camille because I feel like that was your big, for me, I love Sign of the Times Camille. has become... Uh, like my fa- I think it's his greatest I love this album and I don't this album I slept on this album y'all it's so good I fucking love this album so much it is like, and I'm like an. I was thinking about this a lot this week I'm, I'm like an album guy I don't really love where music has gone in terms of how it's really more about you know the single about whatever um, I, I love li- sitting down and hearing a full work like mm-hmm. Purple Rain yeah. and Sign of the Times man it's got it all it I just really feel like does. it is it is a time capsule of just amazing fucking music coming from Prince during this time but yeah the way and then and then finding out how it all came together is crazy well and that's why I think that it would be so interesting you even just saying that you are an album person I'm so curious at what the full triple album would have been of Crystal Ball because essentially Sign of the Times was taken from Crystal Ball because for the first time, Warner Brothers finally said no. Susan Rogers says they told him no, which was something that hadn't really happened up till that point. After all, they'd agreed to let him write and produce his own music from the beginning and to go off and make a movie when he was 23 and not really big yet. They pretty much let him do as he pleased, but said no to the triple album idea. So instead he released an abbreviated double album and that was what Sign of the Times was. And Prince said uh, about this, because people at Warner were tired, they came up with reasons why I should be tired, too. Which is <laughs> a good uh, No, it's just a Prince, uh, man. Maybe they just... Uh, it's, Prince, it's a double on, album. Prince. It's okay. But but we're we're skipping ahead a little bit, because the before Crystal Ball, which, by the way, there is a Crystal Ball that gets released later, later on. on. Yes. And is that not the intended Crystal Ball? It is not. Ball? It's different? It's okay. different. Oh, God. Because so, we so haven't tired. gotten to it yet. We haven't because... gotten to it yet. It's a different one. 
Yeah. Okay. So the revolution, when they disbanded, Prince was working with them on, uh, was working at the time on two albums. With them, he was working on Dream Factory, which had a more creative input from the revolution and even leading vocals from Wendy and Lisa. It included the songs, The Ballad of Dorothy Parker and Starfish and Coffee. Which I actually up, of course. think that this is interesting, though, because revolution member Lisa Coleman did say, who, who was one of the mo- his most crucial collaborators that we've talked about, said that she didn't know anything about the Dream Factory. Factory album only the song Dream Factory despite it being a part of common Prince lore that there was absolutely a time when he intended to release an album with that title so huh. they were probably working together but they the revolution didn't realize that they were working on songs for that specific album gotcha then the, you have the other thing he was working on, which is Camille, and this is where things get really fucking crazy. It is a solo album, and it is an alter ego effort with Prince, artificially using pitched up vocals, using a pitch shifter, but also, and I love this, he would also record his vocals super slow and then speed up the track so it sounded high pitched. And it started out with the song Housequake, which ends up on Sign of the Times, and it was going to be released. I love this. Under, I wish he had done this. I really wish they had let him do this. He was going to release this under the name Camille uh, and not say anything about it. And it was going to be a self-titled debut for this other person. It's his female alter ego. That's what Camille is. Of course, Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers does not like this. And the whole project ends up being scrapped as it was uh, while it was in the mastering stage. So you can actually really go. And I think, do they have a full bootleg of it, Jackie? Did you catch it? And he created think, all yeah. eight tracks of Camille in 10 days. Wow. Does, I'm going to say it does not sound like a female. It doesn't. Yeah, it definitely doesn't. doesn't. But I liked what he was doing with it. I actually yeah, really cool. did dig it. Sure. And I think it's kind of fun, especially when it comes down to how he viewed himself and how he, he carried himself, that he felt the Camille lived inside of him. That That's this cool as shit. I like to, that a lot. I, I very much dig it. It reminded me a lot. I don't know if you guys know much of Mad Lib's work, but it reminds me of his Quasimodo. I know the books. (laughs) Mad Lib. No, guys, please. Mad Lib the musician, please. He he had an alter ego, Quasimodo, which was also a, a pitched up version of his voice and he would even like talk to this character and stuff and I feel like it was heavily influenced by Ooh. Camille because they sound very it's similar. It's like a uh, country guy mm. with the goth goth guy. Oh yes. Uh, Bruce. No. Springsteen. Bruce, no. Bruce no. Dings. <laughs> Ding. No. Come Link. on. The country musician who had the goth. We've made fun of him many times. Bruce. <laughs> no. Wayne. Oh, Batman. Oh, Are we already at Batman? Alright. I'm gonna find it. <laughs> find it. You'll now know I'm, I'm infinitely about. curious. So all of that stuff he pulls together for Crystal Ball, and then we cut to Warner Brothers forcing him to not put it out. He ends up uh, throwing, yeah, paring it all down, calling it Sign of the Times, and they take the album on tour in Europe with what fans would dub his Love Sexy Band now, as it's this whole different... They also called it the Counter Revolution, was essentially the weird mix of Revolution members and these new band members from the family. Garth Brooks and Chris Gaines. Oh. Guys. Who? Chris Garth Brooks's other alter ego. Oh, God. I can't believe. I forgot about that. I completely forgot. The name doesn't even ring a bell. I just remember that he had some other side to it. I forgot about that. It was Garth Brooks's goth, like, new metal character. (laughs) I need to. I don't even know if I've heard it, but I know what you're talking about. (laughs) 
Um, so anyways, so they end up not performing in the U.S. A little bit of a slight because his albums were, his last few albums were doing actually a lot better in Europe than they were in the U.S. Also, though, he doesn't do a U.S. tour because he uh, really wants to get back to the studio. But to compromise with Warner Brothers, who are endlessly frustrated with him <laughs> at all times, he I says, do love Fine, that. I'll do, I'll put out a concert film, but the footage they got uh, was not great. The audio wasn't very good. So he ends up shooting about 80% of this concert film in his Prince, in his Paisley Park studios. So that is, and, and Sign of the Times is really cool. I really enjoy that. I think it's, it's also, uh, it is free, I believe, on Amazon Prime. So if you have that, you can actually just go catch, if you're curious. I think it's, a, it's like totally a must watch I in a lot of ways. I find it interesting that they call it a concert film when it did have a, I was surprised it when it plot. had a narrative. I yeah, was very surprised that there was a narrative because I was like, oh, I, they keep calling it a concert film. So I thought it was just them performing. I do feel like a lot of his concerts had narratives though, and it makes sense. Yes. And they do little inserts that are obviously like choreographed and shot somewhere else. So right. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, this is also the Austin. time when Sign of the Times is really the first time that Prince starts using social commentary, serious social commentary in his lyrics because I think he was sick of critics saying that his songs were about nothing, that they were just about sex. But in the meantime, you know what? He didn't even release the song Scarlet Pussy, which was on Camille, and you're saying it's just about sex. Meanwhile, <laughs> even though maybe it was Prince's most explicit song, and maybe he says things like with Shakespeare invoking lines like, pussycat, pussycat, wherefore art thou puppy? But you know what? It's, there's, there's a real meat to that you know oh there's some meat oh, in dad, there pun intended yeah, yeah there's definitely yeah. a meat in it <laughs> guys some roast beef <laughs> i will uh yeah so i really am excited to get into this next part this is my favorite discovery on this episode's research let's talk about the black album uh which would and and, and love sexy the slightly actually less interesting there's to so me much. Love there's sexy. so much there's so much uh, no crying uh, <laughs> and, and I will say too Before we even get into this There is like You've got the cross On Sign of the Times You've got some Religious nods Happening as well As all this sex stuff And there was so, There was a bit of Social commentary Like 1999 Was an anti-nuclear warfare song Controversy had Political stuff on it I have to, I have to just insert here um, In the beautiful ones The book he wrote uh, He does say Let's go crazy is about God. So interesting. Let's go crazy. The crazy is supposed to be God, and the elevator, don't let the elevator bring us down, is supposed to be Satan. So if you enjoyed that song, now you can just think about how it's actually but about it's going to hell. A, but it's such a dancey <laughs> fuck song. What nope. are you talking about? No, it's about church. Uh, no. Oh, let's go. Come nope. on. Go to hell. Well, this one definitely, uh, he had a lot of issues with um, his uh, okay. religion at so, this point. So, he's still working within this Camille alter ego, and he and this is going to come into play later, because things get a little nuts. I think this Camille alter ego is bigger than, let's say, like, a Sasha Fierce thing, like, making no, an artistic statement. Camille lives inside of Camille's, him. like, a real, becoming a real entity. He does a song on the Black Album. Uh, by the way, this is supposed to be just, like, no title, Black cover, 
just gonna put it out. Well, it's um, because that's what how everyone got received the album. They released uh, they received all the press releases, and it was a double album that was just in a black cover. And apparently, it was supposed to be called the Funk Bible, but it didn't have anything on the outside of it. So everyone just called it. It was a black sleeve with no title, artist name, or photography on it, which is why it's called the Black Album. So he does a song on this album called Bob George, which is about a guy who suspects his girlfriend of having an affair with a man named Bob, which is said to have come from a combo name of his ex-manager Bob Cavallo and a music critic named Nelson George that would give him a lot of shit and features a slowed down monologue by Prince in this other almost opposite of Camille voice. And it's super profanity laden, which is fascinating. We get lots of instances of Prince speeding up or slowing down vocal tracks, by the way, in this whole album. There's also the first time where he's putting like hip hop influence on his stuff, but also, also he's like shitting on the advent of hip hop. There's a hip hop parody on there called Dead On It, which mocks him sees for not being able to sing uh, and and all this kind of stuff, which again, this song is fascinating. And yes, I'm talking about this like I've heard it because I have, because you can actually find it. I found it on YouTube. And man, I think this album fucking rips. It really does. I love does. this album. It, it, but it's also, it is fucking dark. It is, and it is edge, and it is mean, and it is like coming from a crazy place. And that's why, not long before the release, Prince nixes the album. As he says, he had a spiritual epiphany and became convinced that this album is, quote, evil, which was allegedly due to a bad experience he had with MDMA. That's alleged. We don't know. He blames this evil on an entity named Spooky Electric, a low voice <laughs> alter ego derived from Camille. Yes, it was created by Camille, <laughs> Spooky Electric. But that this, I do feel like that comes into like the his father's kind of fear of women sure. and and kind of making out that women are the evil ones, kind of like all religion does. What? Interesting. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> and now but this is uh, still uh, to this day like at, at this point Prince is anti-drug and he would fine his musicians if they showed up high. Oh, and wow. yet blames this epiphany on an MDMA experience, or at least that's what people say. It, that's what singer Ingrid Chavez says, who hung out with him on Blue Tuesday. Now, Ingrid Chavez will come back into play later on because she is in Graffiti Bridge, which we will talk about next yes. episode. So he recalls the project. There's only 100 European promotional copies in circulation, which the, which becomes very quickly heavily bootlegged, is this like legendary bootleg. And also these European promotional cop, these are selling for tens of thousands of dollars. They are they are auctioning at like insane rates. But he was begging people not Ray to. Thing. He was begging yes. people to destroy all the copies. He openly said multiple times, "Don't buy the black album." It's I'm so sorry. Good. He's so, so apologetic good. about how dark he got on the album, even though it's great. But Listen, again, check this album out. It's so but, cool. But again, him doing that is just pushing more people to want to hear it. hundred so percent. I, I wonder if he's genuinely not wanting people to listen to it or not, because it sounds like a really good marketing idea. 
Yeah. It does, but I think that it really, I think he had hit, like, I, I think he was scared of himself yeah, at this point, which is, that's a whole other, that's terrifying. Sure. Instead, he goes, he goes back into the studio and does the album Love Sexy. And the themes for this one are all positivity, self-improvement, spirituality, and God. It's all a reaction to the Black album. The album is made, by the way, to be one continuous sequence. If you go on Prince's disco- discography on Spotify, you can check out, it is one track. It is 45 minutes and three seconds long. All, it has all the names of the songs in the title of the uh, album, whatever you want to call it, in the title of the Cool Sly, I have track. to insert there that Spotify's platform <laughs> makes it so easy to sort through the songs. <laughs> well, it's not this one, though, because it is just the one song. But, yes, usually it does. <laughs> honestly, I've been rocking his discography on there this entire time. Oh, yeah. It is- like it is all there for you um and uh, it does have by the way the song when two are in love which is from the black album but it is um uh it, it is a damn good song i'm glad that he kept it i'm glad that he put one little piece of this other album in there too to say like kind of this is where this came from a little bit he had performed by the way like bob george and some other ones live during his tour he would have this like part one of the tour he was on would be this like evil Part and then part two was supposed to be like the the this, lighter this part, lighter part. Yeah, it was kind of fascinating. He goes on an eighty-four date tour, and uh, I love this. He doesn't make a net profit because of how expensive it is to put on with big sets and whatnot. He doesn't make a profit on an eighty-four date tour, which is fucking crazy. It's it's, it's again and again and again that. All of the things that we've talked about today outside of the albums, a lot of it was self-financed. And so this is the point in time that even though he is still cranking out all this stuff, that he just had too many flops in a row that at this point, Prince is essentially broke. And even though he never really (laughs) wanted to like give the people what they want, he was going to make whatever he's going to do. This, I feel like for him creatively and spiritually is a rock bottom for him because this is where we finally we've been get we've been getting here this whole time is when he does tim burton's batman Batman. guys we made it he doesn't really want to do it except he does want to do it because he's in love with batman i think that he sees himself in batman Mm -hmm. he later becomes inspired by going he goes onto the set of the movie and he's so inspired too inspired Tim Burton would probably say uh, he runs in the studio and instead of doing like a couple of tracks which is what he was supposed to do he ends up doing nine tracks and putting out a, a full soundtrack to the album what did, have you listened to the album yes yeah totally it's, I listened it's, to it right before I came here right, it's such <laughs> it's such a good album and it's Tim great. Burton obviously well not obviously Tim Burton didn't really want he only wanted a couple songs yeah. but he did the whole album what I love is that Prince created his own version of Batman and story of the movie that if you listen to the entire album, because I've never really paid attention to it before, that there's this quote, and I love it. There's no mention of Batman being Bruce Wayne or his parents dying in Crime Alley, thus leading to Batman's avow to fight crime. Instead, Batman has psychic powers. He can see the future, and it will be. It gets even mm-hmm. more wacky when you bring the song's <laughs> music videos into the equation. Just oh take a God, look at the dude. amazingly wackadoo video of for Bat Dance Bat with Dance Prince is playing amazing. the Joker it and is himself. So wild. And which utilizes Neil Hefty's 60s Batman theme. The whole thing essentially turns Batman into a super fun dance party. 
Yes, it is fucking nuts. The future, the songs, the future and scandalous are Batman songs. Electric Chair, Party Man, and Trust are all the Joker's songs. Bruce Wayne's song is Vicky Waiting. Lemon Crush is Vicky Vale's song. And The Arms of Orion is a song that is for the two characters to share as a duet. Bat Dance was, which was the first single released off of the album, was... um, uh, kind of for everybody, and it is full of samples from the film. It's very all over the place, which makes sense because it's for it's trying to represent all of the characters. Um, oh, by the way, really quick before Batman, Prince goes into the studio with Madonna, works on Like a Prayer, co-writes and sings love song with her. He also does uh, electric guitar on Like a Prayer, Keep It Together, an act of contrition. You know why he was doing that? Guess what? He was fucking her at the time. <laughs> I would shock, hope shock, so. Shock, 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 <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> what, are they not going to have sex with each of other? Of course they're going to have sex I, with I, each I'd other. I'd be very disappointed. Can you imagine? Again, another tape? I would oh, definitely oh want. My God. I wish that he was in her sex book. That oh, would have been awesome. Oh, my God. It would have been great. That would sell more copies than the Black Album. Uh, so... <laughs> For, for Tim Burton's film, so this, uh, by the way, in context, Bert, Tim Burton is flying high off of like, what, Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, but this is his first huge movie working with a huge studio budget and dealing with all this shit, which he was having a very hard time with. It's the studios that want to bring in both Prince and Michael Jackson uh, to do the album, uh, which would have been the most insane fucking collab in pop music probably if that had happened. Uh, Prince was supposed it. to just be the Joker stuff. Michael Jackson was supposed to do just the Batman, like these ballads and stuff for Batman. Hell no would Prince ever allow that to happen. Mm. Well, it was actually more that Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I just have Leave MJ Michael written Jordan here. Out so. of this. Yeah. Michael Jackson ended up being too busy, I think, with um, with uh, the bad tour that he was on. And he was being do- too successful while Prince had to go do a movie that he not <laughs> at first didn't really want to do. So can you imagine how Prince felt uh, during this time? He felt like he wanted to have sex with Kim Bassinger. Yeah. Tim Burton didn't love that Prince actually was do- was involved in this way. He- this is the quote from Burton. Now, here is the here is a guy, Prince who was one of my favorites. I had just gone to see two of his concerts in London, and I felt they were like the best concert concerts I'd ever been to. Okay, so they're saying to me, these record guys, it needs this and that, and they give you this whole thing about it's an expensive movie, so you need it. And what happens is you get engaged in this world, and then there's no way out. There's too much money. There's this guy you respect and is good and has got this thing going. It got to a point where there was no turning back, and I don't want to get into that situation again. And actually, Burton said, I liked his album. I wish I could listen to it without the feel of what had happened. In other words, he's like... I love your music, Prince, but I don't want your music in my movie. No, because he just wanted Danny Elfman to compose the music for Batman. And also Burton said, the music completely lost me. And it tainted something that I don't want to taint. I got to tell you, though, using trust in that scene with the Joker and the money. So good. It left such an imprint on me as as a child. That that scene just stuck in there. And it was partly because of that song. And I just rewatched it for this. And... I still love that scene so much. Yeah, it's a great scene. I think Party Man is the one that feels a little bit more out of place when you rewatch it now. Yeah, yeah, For sure. Like, the whole thing just feels a little weird for what they were trying to do. Trust works. By the way, though, it was originally going to be a song called 200 Balloons. 
balloons, but Burton's, Burton <laughs> f- put his foot down. I was like, I don't like 200 balloons. Give me something else. And he went and did trust. I think trust works better um, for sure. But I do love that he themed the whole album for each different character. It's a good album. I just re-listened to it. It's great. Yeah. Um, and guys, it's it's – it's 1989. We made it. We got we through half of the 80s, we did which it. is, but it is such a big part of Prince's career. What, can we wrap it all up we in one more to. episode? I'm yes, so tired to find out. No, it's, we will because <laughs> you know what? They he has so many more other albums, but this was the huge. This is the prolific part. This is the real beginning. And the rest of it is definitely. I don't want to say it's his downfall, but I think that it is his genius and his brain starting to destroy itself. And and the tension. I think this is largely going to be about the tension between him and Warner Brothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because as you can see, they're going back and forth. You know, they're Warner Brothers finally starting to fight back in these ways that are going to piss him off. Uh, you know, and he is just still going for you know swinging for the fences. I mean, I remember well, how confused I was as a kid with the whole becoming a symbol. I'm that so is, excited that, to get to it. I can't wait to get into it. And then the like the the Jehovah thing, and then him yep. taking back all of his his songs and everything. It, it is confusing, and it really you do kind of watch the duality of him. Yes. Uh, kind of implode and it's also his it's the life that he didn't want anyone to know that he was living mm. that he hid from everything that he hid from even his closest friends that would eventually catch up to him because it's sad it man sad. it gets really sad and it just makes me think of you know it, it is it's people that have mental illness issues that they're not dealing with it's people that have addiction problems that they're not dealing with because no one knows about them and mm. isn't there there's nothing scarier than addiction problems that that aren't even apparent to other people just talking about him and going through his catalog it makes me feel like i ripped lines of adderall and just like (laughs) go through this manic phase and then i'm (laughs) so exhausted at the end of it and i feel like i'm gonna throw up so imagine how hard it was to be (laughs) prince yeah i can't even imagine Unbelievable. Also, uh, one last little tidbit. If you watch the video for Bat Dance, which everybody listening to this, uh, immediately go watch this music video. It's bat shit, insane pun intended. He also, this you'll you'll see him, it marks a change in his look. He is wearing very simple, dark clothing, and he straightens his hair down. And this is like what the way he's going into the 1990s, and that is what we're gonna get into. Also, him dresses half the Joker. Oh, man. yes, pretty funny. I love lick it. On it. Oh yeah, I, I love would it. Lick on it, even though he it. wouldn't treat me very nicely, and I'm yeah. not really his type. You, that's oh, right, Jackie. You guys would have made beautiful love. Oh God. You, you know, you go in knowing it's Prince, and you you take the sex, and you say, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you. At Where, least oh, give me a song. That's the dumpster over there? Okay, no, I'll just get it myself. <laughs> I'll show uh, myself dumpster. to the dumpster. Thank you. <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this ride today. Uh, it oh, my is, God. I'm, I, I feel invigorated. This is Ooh. really making me want to work on it. It's like, I could write. I could write a book. You know what? I'm going to write a book now, guys. So Totally. You better get it done quick before you hit the crash. <laughs> thank you, Oxygen and Firebrand. And thank and you, I, Coleslaw. Uh, you're welcome. And we will be back <laughs> next week for part three of Prince. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. And I hope you are just as excited about Prince part three as we are about our move to Spotify. Oh, my God. 
This show, Pop History, is going Spotify exclusive on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2020. New releases and the entire back catalog of this show will be Spotify exclusive. So if you haven't tried Spotify, it's free to download and use on any device. No credit card needed. And all of our episodes are already over there. So if you need to go back and listen to the first part of Prince again, or you know what, if you want to start at the beginning and and hit the nanny and come meet up with us, we will be here on Spotify. Simply search for our show in Spotify to start listening for free. You can download all episodes for offline listening with a free account. Now at Spotify, you can listen to all of your favorite podcasts and music all in one place. Are you nutting on my sauce? Certainly not. Listen to Pop History free on Spotify. Thank you for that lovely promotional ad, Jacqueline. <laughs> Thank you. You I'm only sorry, made oxygen. one, one semen reference through it. Then. Only <laughs> one? We got one. I said, don't bring it up. So instead I leaned on the trash can co- uh, callback over and over again. Hopefully they'll be upset about that one as well. Um, <laughs> you didn't talk then, about your sperms at all. That's right. Good, good job. <laughs> <Cole> you. <laughs> so uh, if you want to check us out, twitch.tv forward slash holdnator. So Jackie joins me to get drunk on stream every Friday night, pretty much. Um, and you can... Follow Jackie at Oxygen Lover. Well, it's uh, at Jack with a that worm. Fork. <laughs> <laughs> with a I fork do love oxygen, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I love I'm sorry. Fire. Yeah. yeah. I, love it. I love to look into it. Um, I am Firebrand, and you can follow me at The Natty Jean on all the things. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us, guys. We love you. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Hotels.com here. Struggling to keep up with your toddler? We know a hotel that'll keep them entertained. Book family-friendly hotels with pools in the Hotels.com app to find your perfect somewhere.